if I can go online and, and research the kind of art that I want to find and and have that influence the way that I learn art, then it doesn't make any sense for me to go to that school. Hello, friend, and welcome back to another episode of Do I Need School to Be? A podcast in which me, Alex, is going to sit down with people in the creative field and I'll ask them questions about their journey, more specifically about their education, how they learned their trade, who were their mentors or who are their mentors, what books influenced them, and hopefully find some answers that will maybe guide you in your journey in the creative field. Everybody's different and we all learn in different ways. So of course, we're all going to take different paths and they're all valid. In this show, I am celebrating any type of education, whether that is formal education, whether that is self-taught, whether that is the internet, it doesn't matter. We have so many options today and I want to talk about it. So let's talk about it and let's have some fun together. Welcome to episode nine. Can you believe it? I can't, but it's happening. It's here. I'm so excited for this interview. I think you can feel it in my voice. This is a, an amazing talk with a strong Latin American artist, Josh Loera. He broke out of the world of engineering to pursue his dream of becoming an illustrator and telling stories with colors and shapes. He actually has a comic book about Aztec mythology and children becoming superheroes of that nature. We have so many superheroes. Why don't we have Aztec mythology superheroes? He also has his own podcast, which is called Creative People Time. And I have an episode on it and we talk about my creative journey. It's it's full of amazing stories by different creators. You'll find links to everything in the show notes of this episode. But now about today's episode. In this show, I'm going to talk to Josh about how he made the decision of becoming an illustrator and leaving his engineering job, how it was to go to school in the US and his experience in engineering school, who were his teachers, what influenced him. We get very critical at one point about what formal education is to do to stay relevant compared to online education. He actually has a mentor that he talks about on the episode as well, and it's linked in the show notes. And now enough of my babbling. Here is my amazing conversation with the talented Josh Loera. And we're recording now. Hi, Josh. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Alejandra? I'm good. Um, scalding hot in the Netherlands, suffering, but surviving and very excited to be here on the mic with you. Where are you, where are you right now? I'm in Guatemala City, actually. Nice. What's it like there right now? It's actually pretty nice. We're, uh, it's it's kind of rainy. It's been a little bit rainy. But in general, I thought it was going to be kind of hot being from Houston. I'm used to the heat. But here, it's it's not that like hot, and it's got a lot of breeze, so we don't even have an AC, and it, and we're uh, we're pretty comfortable. Nice. So let's begin with telling the audience who you are and what you're currently doing. Sure. So my name's Josh Loera. Um, I am of a Mexican. I'm Mexican descent. I was born in Indiana in the U.S. Um, born and raised out there. Um, Went to school for civil engineering, actually. Uh, spent five years in the um, civil engineering industry, selling uh, engineering engineered products. Uh, my, like my last job, I was selling bridges. Um, and during that time, I kind of 
taught myself illustration and other digital media and 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 uh, traditional media and um had the opportunity to move to Guatemala with my girlfriend and and start doing this full time so what I'm doing right now is I'm in Guatemala doing um illustration and other digital design um uh independently that's super interesting you're you're so far I've interviewed a couple people already and you're the first one that pivoted completely from one field from a non a traditionally non-creative field to the creative field how did that happen so um I'm guessing I'm I'm gonna make a huge assumption here but because you are of Latin American heritage and I'm also Latin American heritage probably the arts was not a profession that was encouraged yeah and engineering was seen as be an engineer like engineer like your father or engineer like this person or doctor or lawyer what was it like mm -hmm. yes yes it's kind of like that um and you know I've, I've been kind of trying to track it down as far as like the culture within my family um but i do i don't think it you know i think it was encouraged as a hobby because i, I do remember always um being acknowledged for for the things that I can draw and you know that the the creative talents that I did have like music, guitar, saxophone and and etc um even doing a little bit of poetry here and there <clears throat> but yeah it, it it always I think it was always reinforced as a hobby and um the the question was always what are you going to do for you know money um but you know I was also getting a lot of acknowledgement for how I performed in school, you know, I was good at, at, you know, math and sciences. And, and so somewhere along the way, um, it was coming from the school system as well. Like we, I remember having this little career fair and say it show you take, you take a little test and it's like, Oh, you're good at this and this and this, you know, you're good at spatial stuff. You're good at math. You're good at science. Um, here are things you could do with the spatial thing, spatial Uh, skills and, and artistic skills and they'll show like an income and it's like super low if any and then they'll so show engineering uh, which match up matched up with my skills and then you're making pretty decent money and and so I think and you know that paired with you know de defunding some of the art programs after school that that I had been participating in and yeah just a, a multitude of things uh, that went into that um But also, my, you know, my natural inclination to, to like, you know, math, science and, um, you know, traditionally, you know, spatial type things, you know, geometry and stuff. You're a true Renaissance man then. Very, very <laughs> Da Vinci style. Yeah. You, can, you can develop yourself in the engineering world, but also in the artistic world. <laughs> yes, you can say that. And I think a lot of people, I think more people than not, more people than we might think are like that um you know being in in an engineering school I'm, a lot of my friends that i met had that creative side and are some of the most talented people on the creative side but also some of the most uh talented people on the engineering side and and you know are successful like i know uh, one of my buddies he's a mechanical engineer with a computer science minor that works for ford and he plays in a, a rock band on the side And, you know, other stuff, and another friend who's a, 
a super great singer and is a chemical engineer in Houston. And um, so, yeah, I think there's, I think the the whole Renaissance term um, should be bring, brought back, you know, because I think a lot more people than we might, um, than we might think about um, are, are, are like that. And I like to use uh, the, the Renaissance man, Nesawal uh, Coyote. Uh, from from the Aztec, from the Aztec era, who was a uh, architect, poet, artist, um, politician, warrior. So he's the Renaissance guy I'm trying to emulate. Wow, true to your heritage. <laughs> yes. You know, it's. I think that's so true. I think there is this misconception that when you're good at one thing, you're not good at the other. It's about training those two parts of you and seeing how they can match up together but now going to your artistic career which is now an international artistic career since you're in Guatemala I guess mm -hmm. um, you're self-taught right yes uh, how how did you how do you well being self-taught I'm, I'm always very impressed about how people teach themselves skills um, did you go to like digital, like already digital content already pre-created or was it uh, following the steps of somebody else? How did you teach yourself? What was your method? Sure. And yeah, and I say, I say self-taught self and, I, I, and I think that's, yeah, probably not the best term because I learned on YouTube. I learned on, um, I learned on uh, Skillshare for some of the, the skills I've learned. Um, I have some, I've had, a, you know, a couple of kind of mentors that we can talk talk about later but at the, at the very core of it it's just getting figuring out what I want to draw trying to draw it and then figuring out what I'm lacking and how to how to solve for um for getting that how to solve for getting the skills that I need to to make that that what's in my brain on paper because I it did start with um with like a colored pencil and a marker like a yeah, just high-end markers. So you could do the base layer with markers, and then you do with the colored pencils and just like looking up which colored pencils work best, which papers are best, which um, how to to uh, shade, how many like layers you want to do without messing up the paper or messing up the drawing. And so it's like, it's like a strategic um, way of, of learning in the sense that I want to make things, how can I learn to to make those things, you know? In other interviews that I've had, they're talking about how a teacher gives you feedback and points out those things. But it sounds like you're a person that can look at things and say like, okay, this is missing, this is lacking. So you're, have, you're doing that cycle of feedback with yourself, which means that you have a very critical eye about your own work. A lot of people don't have it. A lot of people are quality blind. And they're so in love with the thing that they did. They're like, yep, it's perfect. I really love that one. I wanted to ask you, actually, you have one image on your Instagram, this Anthony Ramos yeah. uh, portrait. I've been look. I love it. I First of all, I love Anthony Ramos. If he ever listened to this podcast, Thanks, yeah. I love you. <laughs> I am obsessed. He, 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 no, but actually, it, it's not from Hamilton. He did a musical <laughs> um, about a boy. It was also from Lima Miranda. It was uh, about a selling drugs in the school and he was like the good kid that got caught up selling drugs and the, and because a cop tricked him by falling in love with him it's a really cool 
musical and he's the main character and it's hilarious he has this one song called cousin about how everybody has a cousin that can hook him up with something and i think oh my god i have that cousin <gasps> that's such a latin american thing we all have a <laughs> load of cousins and cousins can yeah, get us stuff but yeah I, I digress uh my question about that now what's the name of the musical real quick uh, let me look it up from uh 21 chump street the musical Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, it's from 2014. I digress. Back to the podcast. <laughs> no, yeah, I made that digitally. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's my... That's like technically like by technical terms that's my best piece i've ever made um and and i feel really comfortable saying that um but yeah i went in did every little brush stroke every you know little line i i did with this pencil on on the screen in front of me is like this big is like a kind of like an ipad but bigger and it connects to a, a desktop um so it's like it's a pen display screen so yeah and yeah i i some of those skills i got some of the, the lately since i moved out here i i did a, i've started a mentorship program with a guy named dominic glover um so some of the things that i uh learned from him i put into practice with that but actually bringing it back to to the whole self being self critical i actually wasn't self-critical enough I, I actually probably am naturally not that critical um i guess on the spectrum of being critical uh because you know art because i can get down on myself on on what my art looks like and that's definitely a real thing but sometimes um i'm not seeing certain things and uh some something that helped for that was actually my girlfriend she's not afraid to tell me the truth about what a what a piece looks like and she'll be like well you know the first i remember the first drawing i made she was like i don't think you're that good at drawing women and i was like dang okay uh so like i redrew um i redrew this uh, who was it it was uh i love it yeah so i redrew her face over and over until i got it right uh but then i also made it a point to uh to try to draw a lot of women and um, just for representation purposes, drawing uh, women of color. So if you scroll down, you'll see a, a lot of women of color as my uh, subjects. So yeah, it's it's always good to have someone to to, to critique and give you some some uh, some uh, constructive criticism. Yeah, that, that, and that's great, and that's that's the part pushes you to be better. In in the end, it's, it's constructive. You know that it's not mean, and we'll talk about uh, bad criticism in a in a bit. But uh, I want to hear about your mentor. You mentioned that you had a lot of mentors and then you named one. Um, who were your teachers that marked you, the ones that were influential to where you are today? Maybe in engineering school or now, or who's the one that's still in the back of your head that you do something and they're there? Sure, there's a, there's a few. Um, so my dad is actually really naturally, I think, creative. And he has like a natural knack for... Um, for drawing, but the whole engineering side comes out in a, in a very much hands-on way, um, where, you know, he, 
we grew up working on cars and and he can paint a car he can sand a car he can he builds these little welded um you know statues and he <clears throat> and you know he doesn't call it art he just it's a functional like he he'll then put a a light in it and then it's a and then it's a lamp or he'll put you know he he creates these these functional uh pieces that he doesn't see as art but i i see it as art um, but also he was the, he was the first one to encourage me to draw. He, I remember my first sketchbook and sometimes I'll go back and I'll find, I'll fi- find that sketchbook and some of the things that he drew in there. And then some of the things that I drew, we'll like pass it back and forth just to, to like, you know, draw things. And he, he had, um, his, uh, uncle, which was my godfather who, who passed, uh, when I was young also was a talented art- artist and he, and he, my my dad would have some of his uh, drawings, some of his his old drawings that he would, he would show me. So he stands out, even though you know he he wasn't. He's kind of the same in what we were talking about in the beginning, where he did, just didn't know a way that to to monetize art. And his his profession was kind of uh, was of of a maintenance person, you know, fixing things at a place that main uh, at a place that he worked. And uh, keeping track of the generators and the engines, but then fast forward past engineering, uh, I have a buddy that I went to college with. His name's Eddie Tovar. Um, um, he's a he's a UX UI designer. He was the only person I knew that was that had a career in something that was creative. So when I started, when I got to a point where I had been teaching myself and, and learning and wanted to, to push it further and maybe consider jumping ship and, and changing careers. He was the guy that I called. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he was, you know, he gave me some feedback on, on, on trying to develop style and develop things in, uh, in illustration, uh, since he had some education on, on, uh, digital illustrations. And so he helped me with, uh, with some digital styles um, and, and then he actually guided me to taking some classes in UX and UI. So UX stands for user experiences, user experience, UI stands for user interface. And that's a huge creative industry right now, creative industry right now. Um, you know, designing apps, designing web, uh, you know, websites. And right now the first, the first, like not the first paying gig since I left, but the biggest paying gig since I left is a is a web design um, client that I have. So, so he's been a, a great um, mentor to me. And then Dominic Glover, he's got he's got a he's got a mentorship program through Patreon. So I, I had just been scrolling through Instagram. I liked his style. He's like uh, become a become one of my become a mentee for fifteen bucks a month, and you can you know have like all these calls with him. He gives you assignments, and yeah, just the the few things I haven't been with him for that long, but the few things that he've had had me do led to what uh, the capabilities for me to make um, to make that Anthony Ramos picture. That is so cool that like the the span that the times that you have your dad that has been from the very beginning, your uncle in almost uh, through your dad, and then you're a person that's your friend and then somebody that you're actually paying for. So I like that diversity there. I think there is this idea that a teacher is only a person that you meet at school, but anybody could be a teacher. 
your friend is a teacher that he he's teaching you and helping you develop and grow and um, in another interview, we're talking about how the teacher serves as a guide, observing what makes the student curious and guiding them in that direction. So your friend saw that and guided you to UX and UI. That that's really amazing. And these, um, how do you how, how do you feel about this whole new industry of mentor of paid mentorships? Because um, one thing that happened before in the creative field and the Renaissance. You went to a painter and said, hey, I want to learn from you. And you became their assistant and you learned through that. So the apprenticeship program. And now we have the paid mentorships um, and you're a user of a paid mentorship. So how do you feel about it? And how how well, did you ever worry that it was a scam? So I had for this guy, Dominic, I, I can tell that it wasn't a scam. And which was the reason I t it took me a while to actually sign up for something that was paid. And and some of them aren't scams. Some of them are are uh, are they're real training, but they're very expensive. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a good it's a good resource. You know the the way that the way that the education industry has has become. You know, take 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 mentorship where you can get it if it's good. And and when I saw that how well Dominic can draw and how relatively affordable it was to sign up for his mentorship, you know, 15 bucks a month for, and I could meet with him X amount of times a month. Like I don't even take advantage of it fully. Like I could meet with him even more often, but I got so many side projects that, that I only meet with him probably once a month or twice a month. Um, but still 15 bucks is not a lot in the grand scheme of things when you're looking at art school for, hundred thousand if you go for the full four years right um or twenty thousand for one right and and who knows if that if they're even um teaching you what's what's applicable because you're going to spend time doing all your gen ed courses you're going to spend time uh playing politics with the with the professors and stuff like that so I would say it's worth it if you can if you can find someone that you can trust that has skills that you want to emulate that you want to gain, and um, at a price point that's affordable to you that makes sense to you that that provides the value to you, because um, the first the first mentorship program that I had heard from what uh, paid wise was like upwards of five thousand a year. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, it was through a podcast that she makes and I forget, forget who it was. It was like, it was like the Inspiration Place podcast that I had started listening to. But, you know, there are other issues to that that I stopped listening to because they started becoming more and more pushy about their class. And then, you know, they, they, it was weird to see them navigate the whole, um, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, issues that have been, you know, bubbling to the surface last year. And I was like, uh, you know, if if I had $5,000 extra to spare that I didn't, you know, want to save for use investing in myself later, I may have done it, but just multiple things for that. It just wasn't a good fit. So, you know, really keep looking if 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 you can't find a good fit, you know. I really like that. And I think that mirrors very well with uh, what Simon Sinek says about mentorships. He says that a mentorship, it's a relationship that it has to be beneficial for both. So the student is learning from the mentor, but the mentor is also learning from the student. 
And to find that balance, find that relationship, it's very tricky and it has to be the right combination of people. Like that doesn't mean that the mentor is not good. It just means that maybe the student is not the right person for it. And taking your time, I totally agree that you should take your time to find the one that fits you right. And do you see yourself one day becoming a mentor? Yeah, if I can, like I, I would, I wouldn't mind being a mentor. I would, you know, I, I uh, like sharing the knowledge that I have and I like to inspire other people to do, um, to do what it is that makes them happy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because I'm back and forth because there's, there's a saying out there, there's a saying about when you get to a certain age, um, with a certain level of wisdom, you realize that you don't have really any advice to give anyone, <laughs> uh, because everyone's, everyone's story is so different and, and everyone takes in information so different. So I guess uh, with that, with a grain of salt, right? So as much as, uh, I would like to mentor, I've, I've seen it in the past where sometimes I give the wrong advice. So I'm always scared of giving the wrong advice and, um, and, but uh, if I can help someone, uh, I would definitely love to do that. Yeah, that's great. And then it comes with that the 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 task. It's like advice and feedback. Learn how to do it properly. And what when you get when if you were to give feedback to a student, what do you think would be your method? Would you be that the critical feedback that builds them up, or would you like build them down to build them back up? Because there are so many styles of teaching and of reproducing and helping people develop their talents i mean your girlfriend was to the point like cutthroat let's not no no bullshit here she was like yeah you know what i'm gonna do <laughs> yeah. you a favor yeah my i think my my uh feedback would be uh i would i would take the route of um yeah starting with what's good and then and then going into what I know as far as technical, um, technical aspects of like construction of different, you know, illustrations or, or design. Um, and then seeing if there's, you know, trying to relate that to what could improve. Right. So instead of saying, well, I think you did this badly and I think this is how you should do it. Um, saying this is what's good this is what I know about this, this concept in design or in uh, illustration. And this is what I'm seeing in your work that might be tweaked in that direction. But again, like some people have styles that some people develop new styles, some people develop new things. And, and, and it might not register in my brain as, as, as something that I like, but if I can guide people towards, um, towards, a towards techniques and if they can if they can use that if they try it out and it improves on it great if they try it out doesn't improve on it you know try something else you know so it's it's all fluid it's all it's all you know changing i love that i love that you said that it's all fluid and it's all changing because we are humans and humans are multimodal so one day you may like one thing and then the next day you may like another thing and that way of giving feedback i've adopted the sandwich method well, I didn't call it like a, a previous guest decided to call it the sandwich method. It's like something good, something not so good, something good at the end. And um, so I was in a clubhouse room the other day and uh, Chris Doe was there and I was asking him about feedback. What's his method? I know he's such a nice guy, you know, 
You got to talk to Chris Doe. Yeah, it's so cool. It's it's the second time. The first one, the first one, he recommend he recommended me a great book that I devoured. It was amazing, and now I ask him about feedback. And he was just saying that he always tries to approach it in a friendly way, and reading the person, seeing like what mm-hmm. their body language is, how they're reacting to the feedback, and seeing how he can adapt himself to make sure that the feedback he's giving is getting to them in the purest way possible. And he even had a student once that just um, when they approached him and said, hey, Chris, why do you never give me feedback? And you gave everybody else feedback. And he's just very honestly said from I can read in you that you don't want feedback. You, you don't mm. want it. I'm, I'm not going to push it on you if you don't want it. So and let's let's work on that together. But I am not going to give it if you don't want it. And sounds like that's also how you see it. Be like, you're going to give what you can, but always accept, but be aware. Like if maybe they don't need it, maybe it's not the, the direction in which they want to go. And they're free to say that as well. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, on Clubhouse, are, like on Clubhouse, just like follow Chris Doe and he will suddenly appear in the room and you can ask him a question. It's great. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that because all, everything that's popping up on Clubhouse right now is like NFTs. And I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I love- you, 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 you need to clean your you need to clean your preferences uh-huh. clean the people you follow it was really funny um he's such an earnest guy and i uh-huh. wasn't expecting that to be honest and in one ep- um in one room that i was in so i didn't ask for the book recommendation ask him another question and then as Anneli hansen she recommended me the book and she's in his pro group mm. and it was really funny because a guy, the guy came before me. He was like, oh, Chris, what book should I read? And he just said, and I quote him, this is when I get angry, you guys. This is what pisses me off. And I'm like, <laughs> what happened? It's like, if you go on the future blog, you will find eight posts about different books that you can read <laughs> as a designer, as an artist, as a business person. I yep. do this for you. So read the freaking blog and i was like oh my god christo is so amazing that was <laughs> yes. him giving feedback that's what he can give feedback very honest that's real yeah that's real that's honest he, he puts a lot of work into it too like like all his content is super top notch and um and yeah i could definitely see that kind of reaction being like look it's it's out there like just go to my site <laughs> yeah and talking about putting content out there and just going to the site where do you see creative education going? Because more and more we have these um, Patreons where people can subscribe to internships and we have technology like we are talking right now through Riverside and there's also YouTube. Where do you see creative education going in the future? Do you think the university route will eventually disappear or do you think that there will be a combination or that it would allow you to choose your teachers better? Like. 10 years in the future what do you see um if if uh like the traditional higher education model is gonna is gonna um continue it has to it has to innovate it has to match what we can get for free if not better because so for me i tech like i I could have gone to a traditional school and, and just you know took taken out loans and gone and learned the traditional way and part of that is like art history and learning from the past right which is good but it's all eurocentric art 
you know it's not even considered uh the indigenous and the ancient uh historical art that here in the Americas, around the world, Africa, and, and otherwise, you know, groups of people that are forgotten. So not only do they have to reevaluate the way they're structured for for paying for it, they also have to reevaluate who's teaching, who they're funding to, to do the kind of research to pass on that knowledge. Um, because if I can go online and, and research the kind of art that I want to find, and and have that influence the way that I learn art, then then it's then it's not then it doesn't make any sense for me to go to that school. And you know, pe- people of color who have tried people of color in the U.S. have an issue getting to the point of you know tenure and um, and actually getting to a place of teaching these kind of courses. Like I was at, I went to Purdue uh, in Indiana and I went, I took a class in Latin American studies and the year before it, it was structured in a way where they were teaching about um, more indigenous things, more revolutionary kind of things. But by the time I got, and I knew that because of a buddy that took, took the class, but by the time I went to take the class, um, the school made them change it. To where it's more, it's it's more formed around. Essentially, they exclude the revolutionary things, the indigenous things, and just focus on, um, yeah, the 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 mainstream, you know, essentially Euro focused like history out there. So, even though they touched on it, it wasn't as deep. So, things like that where we don't need it. We we don't need them to uh, to brainwash us anymore. If if that's if that's their intention. You know, we we don't need to put. That's not where our funds, our hard-earned dollars, should be going. So, if I could support a person of color who has a fifteen-dollar membership, who who is an amazing, talented artist, I'm gonna go ahead and do that. I have so many thought. I have so many thoughts on that. Um, first of all, I like talking about uh, Latin American studies. Um, I have another podcast which is called Inspiring Leaders. When I when I do with the Global School for Social Leaders in Austria. And through that podcast, I learned that the first liberator of the Americas was actually in Mexico. He was a slave named Gaspar Yangas. And it's it's funny because I lived... So there's a town today in Mexico called Yanga. And I lived for four years, 15 kilometers away from this town. And I had no idea. I had, it, was, it was history that as a Latin American person, I had never learned. It was never mentioned to me. And I lived in Latin America until I was 18. And yeah, he was a slave that was um, brought from North Africa. Then he escaped, liberated himself and a few others, created his own Palenque, and then um, put up a fight. Like he was a nightmare for the Spanish colon- for the Spanish people. Eventually, they said, "You know what? Fuck it. How how can we live together? Because we can't. We're we're losing too many people. Like the Spanish that he the Spanish crown gave up." They were like, okay, how do we do this? And because of him, there was the first time that a Spanish colony, a Palenque, and a, and a native and a native tribe and the an uh, indigenous tribe actually collaborated together. And they had trade and they had birth certificates for children of mixed races and everything. And you wouldn't learn that. 
and I have an episode about that. I have another episode about queer, uh, about the Mexican Revolution, the women in the Mexican Revolution. There was actually a lot of queer representation. There are a lot of transgender transgender men who were in the part of the Mexican Revolution, and they're never spoken about. And where is that knowledge? Like, wh why are we discussing this? Which makes history richer. And I totally agree that institutions need to match what we can learn for free and need to up their game yes and and if the if and if they don't do it we have the obligation to to not continue to either promote or um or keep funding those structures because they're gonna they're gonna do the same thing forever as long as they're making good money so if we i mean i say we but it's just humans in as a collective um, like you, you, you're saying that there was an uprising of people. That's a collective. Someone decided to make a movement and collectively go against an establishment. And in this case, instead of fighting against the oppressor with, physically, this would be with our money. You know, stop giving them your hard-earned dollars. You know, I am I am a huge fan of Stuart Williams, who is the godfather of impact economics. And he one of he has so many catchphrases that I use constantly, but one of my favorite ones is we vote with our dollars. Every time you spend money or something, you're voting for something. You're helping someone. So I think you're totally right. I think that if we want to change the how design is being edu uh, how creative education works, it's looking at ourselves first and saying, like, what do I need? What do I want? Maybe there is somebody who wants to get the fancy college degree. That's great. That's amazing. I, I went back to college. I, I, I did the whole university track because it was right for me. Because the university I went to um, was in the sense that they had a lot of stations. So if you said as a graphic designer, I want to learn how to build a chair. They're like, cool. So there's a wood station. There's a person there who will teach you how to build a chair. Just go ask them. And then, yeah, and then you said, I want to put a seat on it. And I want that seat to be a silk screen. It's like, okay, so there's a silk screen station. Go learn it. Go go try it out. So they they gave me something that I couldn't get online. Online, I could learn the technique in my mind, but they mm -hmm. gave me the, the tools to do it. And it was yeah. included in my tuition, which was also like pretty accessible. So yeah. what, I, what school did you go to? Um, I, the Willem de Koenig Academy in Rotterdam. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's it's really it it's not perfect. It has its flaws. Um, but the fact that they gave me that approach that I had always heard about uh RISO printing, for example. But that was the first time they gave me a RISO printer saying, like, here it is. And it's not you take like one hour an hour course when they teach you how not to break the machine. And then it's like, Okay, so now that you know how to not to break it, do whatever you want. Be be free, little bird. <laughs> That's cool. But yeah, I, I, lo I love the takeaway that education needs to be more tailored, more flexible to each one of us. And institutions need to match what we can get for free online and ask us what we want and see how they can provide it the best way possible. That's amazing. I really love this episode. It's such a fun, a fun chat. So now as we get to the end, um, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to tell the audience about? Um, yeah, if you want to go check, check out my Instagram, um, time machine dot CRTV, uh, time machine creative. And then my website is time machine dash CRTV dot com. Link is in link is in the bio. I'm always, uh, working on, um, improving 
so those people who have um, been following me for a minute, they've seen the improvements over time. Um, but also I'm, I'm putting out different, I want to create different kind of content in, um, in taking action on some of the ideals that I have. So, uh, for instance, I have a podcast where I interview creatives, you know, of color, people of color who are creatives and, and, and I wanted to ask you about that actually. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a fun project for me. I'm getting, I'm improved, you know, I'm slowly improving on it. I'm learning. So bear with me but the 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 idea around it is to tell stories um as opposed to give advice which is you know like i talked about earlier sometimes the sometimes you try you know sometimes you're not giving the right advice so just tell the stories and see if someone can take the take the advice or otherwise get some inspiration from those people and their specific story and it doesn't have to be necessarily a creative uh person who has a creative career uh, I want, I'm going to interview one of my chemical engineering friends who's who's starting her creative journey as a as a way of um, as a way of uh, relieving stress, which has been um, has been a product of living in the U.S. as an undocumented person um, that that has uh, ha- essentially created like a type of PTSD that she still lives with, even though she's in a place of comfort now. So, you know different stories like that that you don't hear all the time especially in in mainstream creative podcasts is generally just someone who had the money to go to art school um and and now they're doing art or became viral or became viral on social media or something like that i love that and i wanted to ask about your podcast because i really enjoyed it Oh, thanks for listening. The episodes are a bit long, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yep. Um, I I like that it's genuine people and people who who feel reachable. I like the atmosphere. It feels like I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a room with you guys. That's how it feels. Feels like I'm just thank you interacting with these people. I like the style of it. I like yeah, like like I said, it feels like just I'm I'm like you're talking. I'm just sitting in the corner having coffee and enjoying myself. Yeah, you're totally right. That story is not being told. We don't we don't listen to those type of stories and we should. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's like I said, learning it's long. So bear with me. I'm going to anyway, check it out. If you don't mind me plugging one more thing. Yes, please. Please, please, please plug uh, away. <laughs> so I, I wrote and drew a, uh, a, a comic book web comic that's live on my site right now. Um, so it's it's uh, superpower kids who are. Uh, their, their their powers are rooted in in uh, Aztec mythology, so they they kind of get their powers from like Aztec gods, and but they're living in today, and so they're kind of figuring out they're trying to figure out how they got these, and it's it's uh, it's going to be a process of navigating, keeping that a secret, and um, and then other obstacles along the way. So sounds awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely also add a link to that on the show notes so people can find it. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for your time. This has been a really fun conversation. And yeah, I hope we talk soon. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk soon. But yeah, I can't wait to share your story with the world. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. I hope you had as much fun listening to this episode as I had recording it and editing it and talking to Josh. Really, it was an awesome conversation. I love what he said about how universities have to compete now with not only other universities, but also the education we can get for free 
which we can tailor and target and make what we want of it. And yes, transparency is going to be key in this process. And I'm very curious to see how things will move forward. I like to think of Josh's experience with education and becoming an illustrator a lot like the hero's journey that Andy J. Pizza loves to describe in his podcast, which I will also link in the show notes because it's pretty great, of going through trials and tribulations to figure out what your path is and what you want to actually achieve. How do you feel about the hero's journey? Do you think, do you see the parallels? What is your own hero's journey? And how has education influenced you on it? Let me know in the comments on social media. How do you, what do you think about this? And let's have a conversation about how education is part of the hero's journey. Thank you, friend, for joining me today in this wonderful conversation. Like always, I'm happy to be in your ears. I hope you enjoyed it and that you picked up something from it. You'll find all the information to my guests' social media, to their website, to the best way to contact them in the show notes below, as well as a link to our website that has a transcript of this episode and all the episodes. Why do transcripts? Because many reasons, honestly. Like not everybody speaks English as their first language or their second language or their third. And a lot of people have disabilities and they might need this support. And a lot of people just don't enjoy listening to podcasts, but maybe they will like to know about this conversation. So you'll find links to all that in our website, which is again in the show notes, as well as social media handles and other goodies. If you wish to support the podcast in any way, just send me a DM because they make me happy. Or you can also leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform to help me improve the show and make something even better for you. And there's also a link if you want to buy me a coffee because I love coffee and it could also help support the podcast financially. But anything you do to support the pod, I will appreciate it wholeheartedly. And I hope you have an amazing day. Keep learning and stay curious.